Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome in, Late Kick is live. It is Tuesday night. It's not a typo. It's Tuesday night, February 15th, year of our Lord, 2022. We gave the NFL Sunday. They, of course, have in turn agreed to give us Tuesday night. We are jam-packed. We are high atop downtown Nashville. Really disappointed in certain members of the staff, but ecstatic that you're here. I'll detail that in just a minute. We have three, count them, three lies to narc on folks tonight about. We are happy to be the snitches of college football tonight. Because there's some folks lying to you, and it's not just casuals, it's media types. Dare I even say hosts of certain programs? Couldn't be us. Coaches? Shame on them. Some of them should know better. They've been lying to you. That gets exposed tonight. It's not going to stop tonight, but it's going to get exposed tonight. We've got Ohio State Mood Tracker in the building tonight. Not that it is its own entity, but we will share the Mood Tracker. And we have such a loaded mailbag. The mailbag is overflowing. Producer Jesse adamant that we do at least 30 minutes of Q&A tonight. I put out the call today. We had all sorts of questions from all sorts of different directions. Uh, That's like our most popular segment, which stands to reason we should do more of it. We're going to do a lot of that tonight. It's an amazing time. I know it kind of seems quiet around certain corners of this industry and of this here sport, but it's an amazing time right now. And uh, just because it seems quiet doesn't mean behind the scenes that there's not a lot of noise going on. Like, I live downtown Nashville. So you can't go anywhere without the sounds of construction and jackhammers. That's kind of what our industry is like right now. There's a lot of churn, a lot of changes happening, and this show is not unaffected, but it's affected in a good way. So um, this little little platform that you and I have built and our crew and our staff, uh, it's going places. As as Meemaw used to tell me about myself, the show now is going places because of you, our show. So thank you so much for that. It's not anything that's going to happen this week. It's just Things are happening, and I appreciate that. I'll keep you as abreast of the situation. You know how rarely I use that word. I'll keep you as abreast as I can. Make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram, at LateKickJosh. So I told you about the lies, and uh, if, if Colin, if you'll keep that shot there, if you're watching on YouTube, you see all that highlighter? I rarely have notes in front of me, period, much less that much highlighter. But they got me a new highlighter pen that is fantastic. It's not actual marker. It's like sticky, sticky highlight, whatever that is. And secondly, there's a lot of fibbing going on out there that we got to snitch out. And so I wanted to start the show with this tonight because I was going to do it in November because that's kind of when I, when I put the three big lies in college football out there on Twitter. A lot of you interacted with it. So I said, you know what? We're going to put that in the rainy day folder. And that's the folder we save for this time of year. So let's do it. College football's big three lies. Let me ask you something. If someone you trusted was lying to your face, would you want to know about it? Some people would rather remain in the dark. If I know our audience, like I think I do, though, you guys would want to know. And here's the thing. They're lying to you. A lot of folks out there are lying to you. But here's the worst news. Being lied to is bad enough. But when I tell you, it's not just the casuals. There are a lot of TV types lying to you, even up to and including executives out there of major networks that are integral in delivering college football to you. They're lying to you. Folks sitting in studios 
They've been lying to you. And here's the worst part. Even some coaches out there who should absolutely know better have been lying to you. Luckily for you, snitches sometimes are the heroes. And I am happy to be that snitch tonight. College football's big three lies. Let's line them up. And I told producer Jesse, as I got to the building today, it may be that we're missing some. It may be that this list ends up at like college football's five big lies. But I got three of them that I really want to hammer home. And I want you, as we get into spring and then we eventually get to the 2022 college football season, which I am told we'll get here in due time, listen for these. You will hear them constantly. And once I list them, you'll know you've already heard them a lot. But maybe you've repeated them just in, in good faith, but you just repeated them because you heard them. Let's dive in. Let's talk about these big lies. Let's walk them through to a logical conclusion. College football, big lie number one. You are what your record says you are. You are not in college football what your record says you are. This is a byproduct, quite frankly, of allowing the Sunday crew to come into our house and set Saturday narratives. And I'm not a big fan of using the word narrative, but there is no other usage I could, I could apply here. It's something that's said around pro football, something that's said around the NFL, and it's accurate. You are absolutely what your record says you are. I want to say it was Bill, Bill Parcells. He used to say it all the time, and he's right. You are what your record says you are. Why is that the case in the NFL? Well, it's because the playing field is so relatively leveled out compared to the Saturday game that the competition level week in and week out is close to equal enough where the record is the best indicator of how good a team is. But in college football, that's not remotely the case. And yet people say it all the time. And I, I almost feel like these are common sense points and I shouldn't have to address them, but I want you to think about the Arkansas Razorbacks. We're gonna talk about Arkansas a little bit later on the show, but I want you to think about Arkansas for just a second with me. Arkansas went nine and four last year. Now I thought it was a really good year. Keep in mind, they played both participants in the eventual national championship game. They played Georgia, they played Bama. So that's two of the losses. They were nine and four, counting the bowl game. Eight and four regular season, nine and four counting the bowl game. What kind of season is that? Because I don't look at Arkansas and say, that's a four loss team. Because that assumes this congruency across the whole landscape of college football, which there is not. Uh, this is not like looking across Kansas. This is like looking across Colorado. There are vast differences in strength of schedule in this sport. And it's not even Power 5 to G5 to FCS. Dude, some of the bottom of Power 5 is trash. In fact, I would argue a lot of the top of G5 is long since bypassed some of the bottom of Power 5. But think about this through to a logical conclusion for just a second. Arkansas, 9-4, and four, okay? Louisiana Lafayette, and I don't want to bang on Louisiana. I'm strictly using this as sort of a counter data point within the greater context of college football. You got Arkansas at 9-4. and four, You got Louisiana 13-1. and one. So what do we have? We got a one-loss team and a four-loss team. Well, which team is better? In the NFL, we've got our answer there. But you got to dive a lot deeper here. And here's what I mean by that. This is not to mean Louisiana's not a bad team or not a good team. They're a very good team. But Arkansas played eight teams that would be favored over number two through nine on Louisiana's schedule. That sounds really weird and complicated. Well, here's what happened. They had a mutual opponent, Texas. Arkansas played Texas. They scalded them. Louisiana played Texas. They got scalded. Okay, so let's remove Texas. If you take the next eight best teams on Louisiana's schedule, take the next eight, okay? Um, Arkansas played eight teams 
that would be favored over the next best team on Louisiana's schedule. Now, that doesn't speak necessarily to the quality of those teams. I could, I could have just, I could have pulled the LA Rams down and had them play Louisiana's schedule. Well, that'd still be the Rams. That'd still be good. So it's not the end-all be-all. But what you would have some people tell you is, I know everything I need to know by looking at these teams' records. No, you don't. Not in college football. So point number one, big lie number one, you are what your record says you are. College football's second big lie kind of coincides with the first big lie. College football's second big lie is a win is a win. Now, this one really rubs some people the wrong way. Because at this point, you start talking about the integrity of competition. And we all know you take the field every Saturday or Thursday, whenever you play, to win the game. You know, you play to win the game. Everyone understands that. We all know Herm Edwards. You play to win the game. Yes, you do. So if I'm keeping records for conference standings purposes, a win is indeed a win. But we all know that there is a, there's a thick layer of subjectivity in this sport. I mean, we have a playoff that's decided by a committee. And some of you don't like that. But then again, I don't know if it's the worst system in the world because a lot of people would rather replace that system with something that, quote unquote, allows it to be decided on the field. I'm all for deciding things on the field. But that same crew believes in the big lies. They believe that you are what your record says you are. They believe a win is a win. So let's talk about a win being a win. Again, don't let the Sunday crowd start defining how you should interpret the Saturday game. A win is absolutely a win. I don't care if you are the last place team in the AFC playing the best team in the AFC and you got a 17-point favorite there. If they win by last-second field goal, that's all I need to see. A win is a win. But in college football, that is not the case because we have a lot of subjectivity in this sport. Whether you like it or not, that's the reality. There's a lot of subjectivity. So let's take a hypothetical here. I'm done banging on Louisiana. Let's just take a hypothetical. Let's say Arkansas is a four touchdown underdog to Alabama and Arkansas loses 31 to 28. They almost won outright. They easily covered. Okay, let's say on the same day, same time, let's say Louisiana Monroe is playing Nichols State. And let's say Louisiana Monroe's favored by four touchdowns. And let's say they win 31-28. So they almost lost as a four-touchdown favorite. Arkansas almost won as a four-touchdown dog against Alabama, no less. Who had the more impressive Saturday? Keep in mind that word doesn't matter in the NFL, but in college football it does matter. Who had the more impressive Saturday? Who played better? Who was the better team that day? I would argue Arkansas was. In fact, I would argue if I put Arkansas and UL Monroe on the same field that day, I'd probably heavily lean Arkansas to win the game. But they didn't play the same caliber of competition, and therefore the results were dictated by the caliber of competition. What would you say, though, if someone came up to you and said, none of that matters, all that matters is UL Monroe exited the day 1-0, Arkansas exited the day 0-1, that means UL Monroe had the better day. If that's all the logic it took to understand this sport, then five-year-olds could figure it out every week and probably get rich on the sport betting it every week. It's not the way it works. Okay, this sport, our sport, college football, it just requires an added level or two or 10 of interpretation on what your eyeballs are seeing. It's gotta be deeper than that. And if it isn't for you, that's fine. That's your prerogative and you can choose to watch this game however you want to. I just can't have you anywhere close to designing a playoff format or a selection process. I can't have that. And that leads right into the third big lie in college football. College football's third big lie is going undefeated is the hardest thing to do in this sport. 
because it's BS. That's not the hardest thing to do in this sport. You want me to prove it to you right quick? Let me kick you the 2022 schedule. 2022, Auburn University plays Georgia, Alabama, Texas A&M, LSU, Ole Miss, Arkansas. That's just in conference. They also have Penn State coming in for added measure out of conference. Coastal Carolina's hardest game next year is on the road at Virginia. What would impress you more? Auburn going 9-3 or Coastal going 12-0? What is it harder to do? Because I've got a certain portion of the college football public who would tell me, I don't care how many top 10, top 15 caliber teams Auburn plays. If Coastal goes undefeated, that's just the most impressive aspect. Don't care if Auburn goes 10-2 against that schedule. If Coastal goes undefeated, they automatically unlock the door to doing the hardest thing there is to do in sports. That's not the case. It's not the case. Because again, of the volatility from one schedule to another schedule in terms of strength of that schedule. Those are three big lies that are continually pushed in your face and perpetuated, again, not by the casuals alone, but sometimes by people, unfortunately, whose voice carries weight. And even up to and including members of, dare I say, the selection committee every now and then. That committee, by the way, you know, people forget sometimes, it rolls over every year. It's not the same 11 or 12 people every year. They cycle folks through. And so I've agreed with the committee's decisions, but I'm always nervous entering every college football season because you never know how many folks are rolling on to the committee who believe in things like you are what your record says you are and who believe in things like, well, it doesn't matter what the strength of schedule was. If you went undefeated, then it's mandatory. I got to put you in because you did the hardest thing there is to do in sports. Hey, listen, if that were the case, why wouldn't you just remove yourself from a conference, go independent, and schedule a bunch of tomato cans? Knowing that, yeah, people may look at you and say you're ducking competition, but that's okay. Because if the influential powers that be out there tell me, if you go undefeated against those tomato cans, you did the hardest thing there is to do in this sport. It's not true. It's not true that you are what your record says you are. It's certainly not true that a win is just a win. And it's not true that going undefeated is the hardest thing to do in this sport. Now, you want to know why I sometimes push against expansion of the playoff. Well, there's a lot of principle behind it. But then some of the added reasons are because the folks who are advocating for expanding that playoff are doing it because they truly feel that teams have been robbed of their, in their mind, rightful shot at playing for a national championship because they fit some of these parameters or those people believe in some of these parameters. I don't, you know, so if you want to debate this, that's the short and long of it. That's the beginning and the ending of it. That's where you and I, if you're on the other side of the fence, that's where you and I probably differ on this. If you could convince me, even in the college game, that record is the end all be all, if you could convince me, if you could convince me rather that a win is just a win, or if you could convince me that going undefeated is the hardest thing to do in this sport, you would have um, accomplished a Herculean task. Because I don't think anyone's convincing me of any of those things. I do have big news for you, though. Everybody over in the control room can attest to this. Anyone who lives roughly in the same area I do in Nashville can attest to this. But if you don't, I got some news to break right now. I can confirm that it was 66 degrees and sunny in Nashville, Tennessee today. Now, the sun did set at 5 o'clock still because we haven't gone through the time change. Uh, but that's it. That's the news. Now, you may wonder, what does that have to do with the big three lies in college football? Answer, it has nothing to do with the three big lies in college football. You don't realize I transitioned to the ad read a solid 20 seconds ago, and you only just now have become aware of it.
If I know our audience, like I think I do though, I know that you live somewhere where eventually this weather is going to happen to you if it hasn't already, and so I got ahead of the game. A lot of you know what I'm about to read to you, but I got ahead of the game and I said, why ask people to go to Academy Sports and Outdoors? Why ask them to go to academy.com so they can see for themselves what Academy offers? Why don't I just do it for them? I had someone bring this up to me the other day. Why don't you just read a list of products? You know, I go to Academy, but maybe your audience, some of them haven't. Why don't you tell them what they can get? Not a bad idea. So I go to academy.com, which is your best option if you don't have an Academy Sports and Outdoors nearby. And I looked on the screen. Let me tell you what I just saw on the front page. Kayaks. Some of you are probably unaware they sell kayaks at Academy. Yes, they do. If you can't get it in person, academy.com's your hookup. Some very, very surprisingly low prices on some kayaks too. Brandon Marcello's got a kayak that has pedals in it, which I didn't know existed. Uh, but he pedals his way around a lake up there in Arkansas, takes video of it, looks like a screensaver. It's great. Don't know, if, don't know that he got it at Academy, but for argument's sake, I'm going to pretend he did. You got all the baseball equipment, obviously, but cleats and sneakers, fitness equipment, which is essential this time of year. There's a lot of you who work out, you know good and well the difference between dirty bulk season and spring cut. And we are very, very rapidly entering spring cut. So it's time to take the baggy clothes and throw them in the closet. And for better or for worse, that figure is going to expose itself. Make it presentable. And if you haven't already, don't worry. There's still time. There's still time. Uh, team gear, of course, you can get. Fishing equipment. I got it all at Academy Sports and Outdoors. So if you even remotely like the outdoors, then hop into spring only after you've hopped in to see our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors. It's our only partner on the show. We don't do 17 ad reads. It's our only partner. And we appreciate it, and they make it possible to be that. And uh, they, in turn, make it possible for you to live your absolute best life this spring and then summer and then fall. They're there year-round for you. All right, let's roll on here. The Mood Tracker is, if listen, if Q&A is our most popular segment, the Mood Tracker has rapidly ascended to maybe the number two position. Ohio State Mood Tracker. We are headed to Columbus, Ohio tonight. Now, if you're an Ohio State Buckeye fan out there, it's very fun to play along. Or maybe you just watch Ohio State, but you're not an Ohio State fan. What would you think the fan base's mood is in and around Columbus, Ohio right now? Because I got, I got all kinds of different reactions to this. Normally, when I ask a fan base, I'll either have a consensus or I'll have very, very split reactions, but it'll be like two reactions. I got like seven or eight reactions. And so here's what I arrived at for the mood tracker with Ohio State right now conflicted, but also confident. Because there was a lot of a conflicted nature about the mood around Ohio State from fans whose most recent memory, if you look past the Rose Bowl to the end of the regular season, was we didn't beat Michigan, we didn't go to the Big Ten championship game. And some Ohio State fans view that as just an outright travesty within the scope of college football, of course, because they look around and they see no one's come close to out-recruiting us up here. No one else has C.J. Stroud. We're so good in the quarterback room, Quinn Ewers left. Look at all the racehorses we have at receiver. Travion Henderson, as a true freshman, may be the best back in the league already. We got NFL talent all over the place, and you're telling me we didn't even play for the Big Ten Championship? What gives? I get that. And then you went to Michigan, and you were second best that day. I get that. So let's just bookmark that, okay? Because there's reasons to be conflicted. It's okay to feel that way. But then there's the confidence, and the confidence is Ryan Day. I mean, that's the bottom line. Confidence is Ryan Day. So there's reason to be conflicted. That's fair. I'm going to address that in a second. There is definite reason to be confident. 
But here's where the conflicted aspect comes back in. And I had one of my Buckeye buddies, uh, a BB, if you will. I asked him, all right, so you sound unhappy. Do you realize how ridiculous that is? Now, this is me speaking to him. I said, do you realize how ridiculous that is? Because this dude was ready to jump off the ledge. And I said, um, wh- what has you so upset? And he said, well, I mean, we have no business losing to Michigan. Okay, I, it's, it's fine to feel that way. But I asked him, who's the best coach in the game right now? He said, Saban. I said, he doesn't even beat Auburn every year. He doesn't even beat Auburn every year. It, it, in other words, it's hard to win. It's really hard. Ohio State, just because they've run off this string of wins against Michigan, that doesn't mean that it's a given. It never was a given. You've always got to go into that thing and it's going to be a knife fight. That's the beauty of rivalry college football and rivalry in sports. And it's the beauty of competition. And it's not the worst thing in the world to come up short and taste your own blood a little bit as it relates to the long-term future of your program. So yeah, you lost to Michigan in a game at least Vegas told you that you were favored in. Well, what next? You know, because this has happened before. Good teams, favored teams have lost before and have come up short. I think there was, at least according to the guy that I was speaking with, and and this is probably shared sentiment-wise by a chunk of the fan base, there was a feeling that this thing was supposed to work like a storybook or even a story arc where we got Ryan Day, we go to the national championship game, we get beat by Alabama. Okay, the preview magazine culture would lead you to believe, well, the next logical step is Ohio State, they work all offseason. They get back to the national championship game and then they atone for that loss. This is the real world. This is not the way it works all the time. This is not a fairy tale. Sometimes you lose, you come up short, and then you don't even get a chance next year. And maybe it takes you three or four years to get back. Some teams never get back. You know, some teams never get back there. I got a good reason to believe Ohio State will get another opportunity or two at a national championship under Ryan Day. But because they didn't immediately go back, there's some aspect of being upset and I get all that but understand this this is where we shift back to the confident aspect Ryan Day's a very young head coach you know Ryan Day is on the grand stage at Ohio State at the same time that Nick Saban was at like where was he Toledo and then the Michigan State and Urban Meyer was at Bowling Green in Utah and the point is you can't find shortcuts to learn the lessons that it takes to win at the highest level you can't It's just that in the old school, in the old days, you learn those lessons off the national stage. You didn't have to learn those. You didn't have to learn the proper way to hire a defensive staff on the biggest stage in the sport under a white hot spotlight with millions upon millions watching you every week. You learned it in the Mac. You learned it on on a random Tuesday night. I know they didn't play Tuesday night games back then, but you get what I'm saying. Kirby Smart's had the same thing happen to him. You know, all these guys now, Lincoln Riley, all these guys who in the modern age of college football are getting their first taste of being a head coach in some of the most prestigious programs and opportunities the sport has to offer, there still is no shortcut, guys. The fact that Ryan Day hasn't fallen flat on his face and gone eight and four up there, that alone tells you he's the real deal. And also, I want you to think back this past year. You know, I remember, where was I? I was at Iowa State, I want to say, in week two. Yeah, Iowa State in week two, on air conditioned press box. I'm in the trenches, guys. I'm taking bullets for you, and by that I mean sweating bullets for you. It's a very tough job to go cover these college football games for free, but someone's got to do it. And so I'm up there, 
and I'm in the press box and I was watching Oregon, Ohio State. And Oregon, this is the same team that goes on to lose to Stanford, uh, got, got smoked by Utah twice. They're, they're physically handling Ohio State at times and the same three or four things keep just, just vexing Ohio State's defense. And I remember thinking to myself, there's going to be a lot talked about this defensive performance, which there was, rightfully so. But then the next question was, boy, is this just it for Ohio State this year? And the answer was no, it wasn't. Because Ryan Day made a very calculated but very decisive decision. And I know those uh, go hand in hand because they're the same thing. But he made moves then. Ryan Day didn't wait till the end of the year. Now, you may look back and you say, oh, he had to do that. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. A lot of guys with a lot more age about themselves would have said, well, I'm stuck with who I'm stuck with. Ryan Day didn't. He took decisive action. That's uh, the hallmark of a leader, but also the hallmark of a guy who knows where he wants to go and when he's got dead weight on his staff that's not helping him get there. I would love to be more respectful, but that was just the fact of the matter. But they did what they had to do to get to the end of the year. What did he do? What did Ryan Day do as soon as he got to the end of the year? He went and got one of the best defensive minds in the game in Jim Knowles. Got him from Oklahoma State. No one could have seen that coming but him. And so, you know, he overturned the parts of the program that he has to overturn. The point is, you're watching lessons get learned on a high wire that's 100 stories off the ground instead of, you know, 10 feet off the ground. You could fall 10 feet. It hurts, but you get up and you're okay. You can't fall when you're where Ryan Day is. But the other part of that confidence is if Ryan Day's serious when he says, I'm going to be here for a long time, there is no window to be worried about. A lot of programs out there, since I just mentioned Iowa State, you know, a lot of people at Iowa State have been concerned. Well, we've had Brock Purdy there, and we had Breeze Hall, and we had a senior veteran-laden roster, and we got Matt Campbell, and we know the history of Iowa State football. Is this a window? Yes, it probably is a window, and you better get it done to the maximum because you're probably going to have to hit a reset button before too much longer. At least that's what history would lead you to believe. At Ohio State, as long as a guy the caliber of Ryan Day is there and recruiting is operating the way it is right now, there is no window. The window is every year they have a football season, you got a shot to do some very special things. So there is no window. And that's what the buddy and I that I mentioned were talking about. He said, you know, I'm just worried that we're a couple of years in now to a window. And if we don't get it done, and I interrupted him and I said, what? If you don't get it done, what? If you don't ever win a championship with C.J. Stroud, what? the next best quarterback's going to step up. You'll have another guy that had all five of those stars next to his name. And if you don't have one, you'll go get one from the transfer portal because you'll have guys who would uh, crawl over broken glass and fight over each other to try and get there to play and wear that, uh, that, that Buckeye helmet. Like, that's a very, very coveted position to have. You will not have to worry about a window closing, in other words, if you're Ohio State. But I'm very, very interested to watch this upcoming year because, see, there's, there, there's another kind of divide in the schools of thought about how to look at what's happening in the Big Ten right now. You got Mel Tucker in Michigan State rapidly improving. No one knows what to expect now from Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, but as of last year, you were seeing the best version of that program that we've seen to date under Jim Harbaugh. Uh, Penn State has made some very, very good hires. I think Penn State easily has got the best quarterback coming on campus that they've had under James Franklin. I believe that. I remember the Hackenberg era, but I believe that. And at the same time, you got Ohio State still as the mainstay. Well, how am I supposed to look at this? If I'm an Ohio State Buckeye fan, I'd be excited. Like, I think competition's a very good thing. Clemson sits over here in the ACC, 
And for several years, you had to worry about whether they were being battle tested enough. Some years it was yes, and some years it was no. I think they've done a very good job of navigating that personally. But it's good. It's good to know that there's someone waking up every day who's capable of beating you uh, in multiple places in the Big Ten because it just brings out the best in a staff. You don't ever have to manufacture the motivation and excitement. It's there because there's a real opportunity to get beaten. So I, I could not feel any better, quite frankly, about the future of Ohio State. I think the fan base, especially once you get into spring practice and you just forget about last year, fan base will feel that way. Fan base should feel that way. So conflicted and confident, and I think that eh, conflicted, it'll kind of fade away like an early morning fog, and they'll just be confident because here's what's coming. What's coming is those preseason articles where they tell you how many teams would be favored over Ohio State. And it wouldn't surprise me if we arrive in preview magazine season and there's an article or two out there from an odds maker who says we would favor Ohio State against everyone, as it turns out, coming into this year. Maybe a two-point dog against Alabama, favored against everyone else. Those articles are coming. And with it, so too is coming the confidence. Okay, we've got several Q&As. Uh, thank you for watching. If you're watching live, make sure you hit the like button. Someone just, um, I mean, Hogan's talking about, is Hogan, are you talking to me in the live chat? Because you use my entire name, which normally only my mother and father do. I'm happy you had a good workout today, man. I just want to make sure you're talking to me. So anyway, we've got several questions that I hopefully have answers to. The mailbag's loaded. Uh, the guys have insisted that we, that we pack the mailbag today. So I may not spend five minutes on one question, but we're going to get several of them in here. We really appreciate it. Some really good questions. The ones I don't get to on the show, I'm going to go after the show when I get home, and I'm going to try and answer as many of them as I can. Because one of the questions was, why do I keep submitting questions and you don't answer them? Which is with a lot of merit. Not on my end, but on your end. I'm going to try and atone for that tonight. All right, let's go. What do we have? First up, which monitor should I look at? This one's really big over here. This one makes it look like my eyeballs are closer to the screen. And if you're listening on podcast, all this is irrelevant. So this is from Tonto Goldstein, and you know how dependable Tonto is. He said, how quickly are things moving right now? And with how quickly they're moving with NIL and some legislation to try and classify athletes as employees, do you think teams, listen to this closely, do you think teams will eventually just be associated with a school, but not actually have students as part of that? And what would that semi-pro college football league look like? I cannot emphasize to you in strong enough terms how much I despise this concept. Not the question, but the concept. Because what he's saying, to be clear here, is if we are headed down a path where players are going to be compensated and be defined as employees, well, at that point, they're not student athletes anymore. And so what the question here is, is do we just stop pretending altogether? Do we stop even requiring the players to be enrolled at the university? In other words, could you, could, you come from, could you come from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma and play at Oklahoma but not be enrolled at Oklahoma? You're just being paid to play football there. At that point, you're no different, as he said, as a semi-pro football player. I would hate that so much. I, I, I know a lot of people want to sound intellectually above the rest of the room and say, well, that's the way it's headed. Deal with it. Okay, I, I can know that there is a snowstorm coming. If I don't like cold weather, I don't have to like it, you know? So you can either say, well, it's going to snow whether you like it or not. Or you can say, you poor thing. JetBlue has great 10, 10 p.m. flights to Fort Lauderdale tonight. Why don't you hop on one? Well, with this, like I grew up loving college football. 
more than the NFL. I watch pro football. I watch the Sunday game. But my love is college football. Why? Because there are certain aspects of our sport that distinguish it and set it apart. And one of those, whether you want to laugh at it and smirk at it or not, is there is an academic layer. Like there is an attachment that student athlete has to university that is totally different than the attachment that a tight end has to the Los Angeles Rams if he gets signed off someone else's practice squad or off the free agent wire today. He's there because someone just signed him. Someone's at Oklahoma or someone's at Tennessee because they committed to spend three or four years of their life there. And there are aspects of the entire community and the university, maybe the academic experience and the major that you want to take part in. There are things beyond just the football field that attract you there. And in turn, there's something at least once upon a time that you played for and it was on the side of your helmet, but what's on the side of your helmet represented something that was greater than just you doing something on Saturday to cash a paycheck. It, it used to be more than that. And for a lot of guys, it still is more than that. I hope it always is that. And so I don't know. I can't tell you, nor do I think anyone else can with certainty, where the sport's going to be in five years or 10 years. If it is, as the question just presented, a semi-pro version of what used to be college football, I don't know that it's something I'd be totally interested in being around. I know that's a mouthful, especially considering this is all I do, but I don't know. That, it, would feel, it would feel very inauthentic to me. I'll put it that way. And so I'll cross my fingers. That's not where we're headed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Next question. This is a tough one. I hate when they do this to me. So Michael, being the jerk that he is, but I love you, Michael, he said, hey, if you had to buy stock in Miami or USC, which program would you pick and why? Because you put the question to us. Now I'm putting the question to you. And he's right. I put this question out last week. And I said, if you had to place your stock in one program, Miami or USC, which would it be? I'm going to go with Miami. Miami's the program I put my stock in. I'm going to tell you why. I don't think there's any substitute for South Florida athletes. There's not a place, if you allowed me to just own one geographical area in America, that I would choose over South Florida. If you gave me my pick of players in South Florida, I would happily take it and expect to dominate college football. There are great players in Southern California. I know that. You don't need to get in the comment section and tell me how many great quarterbacks that are playing the game right now came from Southern California. I know who just won the Heisman. I know which high school he played at. I may have formally mispronounced it and called it, what did I call it, Mater D? I used to call it Mater D High School instead of Modern Day. But I know where Bryce Young went. 
You know, I, I know where all these guys are coming from. So it's not like I'm going to fail choosing either one of them. Because the bottom line is, if Mario Cristobal maximizes the potential at Miami and Lincoln Riley maximizes the potential at USC, the odds are fairly good they're eventually going to meet in the playoff. You know, So I, I couldn't go wrong betting on either one, but I'd still rather have Miami. Here's the other part to that. I would never have expected me to answer this Miami formally, but with Mario Cristobal coming to town, also came the realization that there's a level of investment down there now that, quite frankly, we haven't seen the willingness to be put up before. Everybody at Miami has always been good at talking, but not everyone at Miami has always been good at then saying, but hold on, and then pulling out the checkbook and then saying, and I'm going to back it up with this zero and this zero and this zero. Well, now they are. That's how they got Mario Cristobal down there, first off. And secondly, they are doing that. And you know, if that infrastructure's in place, there's no limit to what they can do down there, just like there's no limit to what Lincoln can do at USC. So again, there's not a bad answer here. That's called fence riding for those unfamiliar, but I'll take Miami. If I had to roll with one, I would take Miami. Next up. Oh, we're going to go with Scooby Manziel here. Scooby said, Jimbo said on your show, Jimbo Fisher, of course, that they now have guys that are going to enable him to run things the way he previously was not able to offensively. What changes do you think are coming to Texas A&M's offense from a coaching standpoint this year specifically because of that new talent? This is the biggest question in the SEC right now, quite frankly, because everyone's watched Texas A&M under Jimbo Fisher. It's the reason I asked him the question when I did when we had him on the show. Everyone's watched A&M and they've had very, very good line of scrimmage play, both sides of the ball. Good to great in certain years. Uh, they've, they've rapidly improved defensively. And so they deserve a lot of credit out there for that. But yet there's been one constant. And that constant is them not being able to fully take advantage of all the wealth of talent that they've already had on campus because they couldn't stretch the field. They can't, they haven't been able to. So past tense, they haven't been able to. Their explosivity rate in the passing game is abysmal. It's bad. It almost looks like a joke. That's how bad it's been. So when we had Jimbo on the show, I asked him, is there stuff that you've wanted to do that you just hadn't been able to do? He said, there's no doubt about it. This was before the second signing day when he just yelled at us. The first signing day show, he said, yeah, there's a lot that we've wanted to do. And that's when he started breaking down his class. And that's when he started telling us, I think I got the best quarterback in the country in this cycle in Connor Wegman. I think that we've got the kind of perimeter, perimeter skill talent that we just haven't had the haven't had the plentiful supply of, okay? They've had guys, but they've, it's been singular. It hasn't been plural. It hasn't been guys. They've had a guy every now and then. They want their own version of when you look out wide, you see Henry Ruggs over here and you see Devontae Smith over here. They want all that. And to them, there's no reason they can't have it. And I got to be honest with you, I don't disagree. And they got a lot of it in this class. Now, history would also tell you that any great signing class naturally has attrition. And some of it is actually naturally occurring. Some guys may just not live up to their billing. You may have injury that happens, but a lot of it's also depth chart related. It's just the modern age of college football. It is what it is. So, you know, the next task they have there is make sure you preach competition. It's another thing we talked to Jimbo about on signing day. Preach competition. Make sure guys understand it before they get there so they're not shocked that, oh my goodness, I don't have a job handed to me. And, and I, don't, I don't think that's going to be the case at A&M. But if they can get some guys to realize you're not an All-American the day you step on the field, you know, there may be pieces to this recruiting class that don't end up 
shining in a way that wins you games until 2024. And that's perfectly fine. That's natural. The unnatural signing class would be one that 80% of which is already on the field in year one. So my answer to this question is, the sooner that you can see Texas A&M not have to wave the white flag every third and nine, the better. You know, the, the sooner that you can see A&M make defenses feel like they're in scoring position no matter where they are on the field, because at any given point, they can pop the top off a defense or they have enough skill to where a simple end around with good blocking on the perimeter can spring an 80 or 90 yard gain, the better. That's a long sentence. If we transcribe that, I think it's going to be like four lines. They have not been that. When's the last time, if, you, if you're a team that played A&M, when's the last time you played A&M and you sat on the edge of your seat every time they were on offense? Because any given second, it could happen. That has not been Texas A&M. And that's what you look to hopefully, for your sake, change in the future. Moving along. See, I told you we're going to get a lot of these questions in. Spartan Dog is up next. He said, what are your thoughts on Mel Tucker and where him and his Spartans are headed? Could they win a title in the next decade? I can tell my answer here is going to be different than yours. My answer is yes. I think Michigan State can win a national championship in the next decade. I think that because I think that there are things that are going to happen there under Mel Tucker that are irregular in historic nature. History has presented a certain set of limitations, if you will, that college football has placed on Michigan State as a program. And so I go back to the old Roger Bannister example all the time, but I'll do it again because I think it fits here. It used to just be understood that there were certain physical limitations on the human body and there were things that we could maximally achieve and then that was it. And one of those things was human beings are not capable of running a mile in under four minutes. It just can't happen. The absolute maximum peak potential of the human anatomy is such that you cannot break a four-minute mile if you're a human. And then Roger Bannister did. And then people looked around and said, was the clock broken? What just happened? What happened was something that technically was capable of being done all along finally was done. Then guess what happened? Bunch of folks broke the four-minute mile barrier. And so the age-old question, just like the Chinese bamboo, is it, is it always possible, you know? Or, or did it just become possible that day? Well, with Michigan State, College football has convinced us that Michigan State can't get the caliber of athlete in East Lansing that it takes to compete with, year in and year out, the Alabamas and Ohio States and Clemsons of the world. They can't. Now, they may have a given year where they have a nice 10-2 and record and they end up in Orlando on New Year's Day for the Citrus Bowl, the Verbo Citrus Bowl. But, you know, let's be real. If they make the playoff, it's always going to be what it was in 2015. Well, that's the way it has been. But just because it has been doesn't mean it always has to be. And so with Mel Tucker, when he walked in the door, it's the strangest thing because it was the most inopportune time to have to make a head coaching hire. Remember when this happened, Mark D'Antonio, he retires, but he didn't do it in December. He did it well after the quote unquote coaching carousel cycle had seemingly come and gone. And so everyone was panicked because they said, where are we going to go to get a coach? And they went and they started a bidding war for Mel Tucker, and they ended up paying him what a lot of people thought was way more than he was worth, which I always laugh at because the market is the market. What someone's willing to pay you is how much you're worth. That's the way it works. And um, so they went and got Mel Tucker. No one expected anything from him. No one. And I'm not sitting here claiming that we were the opposite. 
I'm not telling you that we held a parade here and said, just a matter of time now. But um, it doesn't really matter what anyone thinks. It matters what you're capable of. And I'm going to reiterate that now. It doesn't matter if people think Michigan State is or isn't capable of filling the blank. If you know you're capable of it, that's all that matters. And so Mel Tucker, I'll tell you this, he is recruiting with an energy at Michigan State I've never seen anyone recruit with there. And it's like his hair is on fire, of which he has none. And I can relate, but it is a metaphor for a reason. Uh, they're pounding it up there. They're pounding the pavement. And they're trying to recruit nationally because they know they have to. But that's why it was so important for them to do what they did this past year. I was there. I was on the field when they beat Michigan. That was about so much more than beating Michigan. That was about announcing to the world with all the pregame shows in town and the spotlight on East Lansing that this is a place where you can come not just as a backup option, but as a premier option. You got offers from Ohio State? Come here anyway. You got offers from Clemson and Alabama? Think about coming here anyway, because we got a pretty special thing going on up here, and it's only just begun. I had a really good conversation about Karen Carpenter and the Carpenters over on the Gigum 24-7 board the other day. Uh, we've only just begun. Tragic story. Good thread. Tragic story. But they've only just begun at Michigan State right now. So who knows what they're capable of? I want you to think about this. Let's do the whole hypothetical thing again. Let's say Michigan State has a really good roster in place. And then let's say any given year, we enter December and January, transfer portal season, as it will be henceforth referred to as, and a Caleb Williams or a Quinn Ewers enters the transfer portal and Mel Tucker lands him. All it takes is one time for that to happen for an elite quarterback to choose to go to East Lansing and play for Mel Tucker. Very infectious personality. Everyone loves Mel Tucker. Players will all go over the cliff for him. If he attracts that kind of guy to play for an already pretty stocked cupboard otherwise, you watch and see. All it takes is one year. I remember for the longest time they said the same stuff about Clemson. There was actually Clemsoning as a pejorative term around college football. And then I don't start it with Taj Boyd, all due respect. When Deshaun Watson came in the door and faced one of the best defenses that you will ever see on the field for Alabama, he lost to him in 2015. But there you go. Clemson's already in a title game. Then they go the next year. And he gets helicoptered in the air by Reuben Foster, but they still win the national championship. That was all it took. That was all it took for Trevor Lawrence sitting at home watching. That was all it took. Because then Clemson's a destination. And just because the quarterbacks go there, then everyone else wants to go there too. My point is, that's not happening at this very moment with Michigan State. I think that you would be shocked at how much the fortune of that program could very well change with just one big quarterback acquisition. And it may happen this upcoming year. It may happen two years from now. But they're going to be good regardless. They're in a very good position regardless. But watch what happens. So you ask me over the next decade, if that happens over the next decade and the situation's right elsewhere, think about this past year. Where was the dominant team this past year? Georgia won a title with Stetson Bennett. There was no dominant team this past year. There was no unbeatable team this past year. I mean, Georgia themselves got smoked by Alabama and then turned the table on them a month later. But if Michigan State were to do that and you had a year where it was kind of a toss-up, yeah, they could win a title. They absolutely could. I just got myself excited. It's like a little, little mini green pep rally here. All right, let's roll on. Several more uh, questions to get to. Really good flow here. Hayden asked, what is the ceiling for Auburn in 2022 after this Harson situation? 
Well, I want to go back to a list that I read you a second ago. So let's pretend that everything's great at Auburn. This is always how I have to classify the Auburn experience. Let's pretend everything's great at Auburn. Let's pretend there's no drama whatsoever behind the scenes and the administration hadn't made a mockery of the program over the past month. Let's pretend all's well and good, sunshine and rainbows. You still got to play Georgia and Bama and A&M and LSU every year. And then you've also got to play Arkansas every year. You got to play Ole Miss every year. You got Penn State coming in this year. This is the hardest job in major college football, even when things are great. Things are not great, friends, on the plains. I know you and I haven't spoken. I said that quick. I know you and I have not spoken since Brian Harson was retained. Weirdest headline ever. Uniquely Auburn, that headline. But this is where we are right now. Brian Harson is the head coach at Auburn. Now, as I said, to provide context, when this whole thing was going on, I guess we can't call it a scandal because there was nothing there, but when the uh, pseudo-scandal, the Twitter scandal, if you will, was going on, I said, I, I think we need to remember on the off chance that he's retained, which he ended up being, you need to remember he's still got hires to make. They still need an offensive coordinator. Uh, they, they have still got the hardest, one of the hardest schedules in the country coming up. Uh, the recruiting was flat this past cycle, according to rankings. Now, you never know how a class actually pans out, so it's not fair to grade the class yet. Uh, my opinion was recruiting's well off pace compared with the teams they have to play. That's my, that's my assessment on the Auburn recruiting situation. And then they got this schedule to play this year. So let's look at this. How many of these teams will they be favored against? They won't be favored against Georgia and Bama. I don't think they'll be favored against A&M. No, they will not be favored against LSU. I would not expect them to be favored against Ole Miss or Arkansas. Uh, Penn State at home is going to be a very, very competitive game. They do open with Mercer, though. You know, what's funny is the FCS crowd out there, uh, they will look at Auburn's schedule, even with all those landmines on there, and they'll say, shame on Auburn for scheduling Mercer. And to that crowd, I just reserve an entire segment on another show because I don't have time for it right now. I mean, my, like, yes, yes, let's replace Mercer with UNLV. All of a sudden, there's no more FCS team on there. That legitimizes Auburn's schedule all of a sudden. Spare me. So, I mean, we're looking at this list. There are going to be dogs in like six or seven games. What would success be here? What is success? Is there a number? I was on with uh, the next round with Jim Dunaway and Ryan Brown and Lance Taylor and those guys. The other day, we were talking about Auburn, and I asked, what's the number? If you were to put seven and five on this schedule, is that good enough? Or do you need eight and four? Or is there, is there a magic number of wins that are needed? I never believe in that, but that doesn't change it from being the approach for a lot of powerful people. That is a brutal schedule. And so the best case scenario, I, I think nine wins would be a miracle. I mean, I think that we don't know who the quarterback there is. We've got a bunch of guys like TJ Finley and Zach Calzada's coming in. There are a bunch of guys who have been backup options at other places that have transferred in. There is no alpha. There's no guarantee on that roster, even at quarterback. Uh, they are void of elite skill at receiver. There's so much churn here that to go back to when all this was going on, I tried to remind people, if he's retained, it'll be one of the stiffest challenges any coach has in America, even if things are good. But if things are dramatic behind the scenes, it's going to be a no-win situation. This is really, really difficult. So I, the best case was the question. I think the ceiling, I mean, the absolute ceiling would be like nine wins. And we're going to obviously talk about this more in the summer, the best, worst, most likely scenarios. 
you find me nine wins there, I, you probably got my vote for Brian Harson for coach of the year early in the process. How many more do we have, Jesse? We got, I know we have more, don't we? Two more. Okay, here we go. Roll the dice. And the next question that comes up is from Frank. Oh, this was a good one. This was a really good one. I had to think for a second about this one. So Frank said, if you could see one historic game live, what would it be? Now, you know how I roll. I will never narrow it down to one. But I did this time, kind of. My answer was that Boise State, Oklahoma Fiesta Bowl. This is not that long ago. I got one from way back in the day. I'll, I'll end this with. But this game, to me, was the most historic upset in college football history because of the consequences, because of what was on the line. Now, I remember this vividly, as we all do, if, if you're of any age. You remember it vividly. This is not that long ago. But I remember this is when I was working in the aforementioned fabric warehouse down in Columbus. And this was still, kids, I want you to listen to me very closely. This was in an age where every bowl game was a huge deal. No one, and I mean no one, looked at that Fiesta Bowl and said, oh, what do we got on the schedule? Like, oh, meaningless Fiesta Bowl. Wonder who's going to opt out. No, no, it was none of that foolishness. Your precious playoff had not come along yet. And so we didn't have phrases like meaningless bowl game. This was everything. Now remember what the entire dynamic of college football was. This was still in an era where it was believed that teams from that level, Boise's level, if you want to call it the G5 level, those teams cannot compete with, nor can they beat teams from what you would call the Power 5 level. And so Oklahoma goes into this game and everyone's doing their survivor pools or they're doing their bowl pick and pools and where you pick the winner straight up and you have to assign a numeric value. Everybody had Oklahoma as one of their most confident picks. So you go into the game and you realize, hey, it's Boise team, it's Chris Peterson team. They're going to end up hanging with Oklahoma. And so I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching it at home, I'm thinking, I'm thinking quite frankly about what I'm going to be talking about the next day in the sample department because that's what we did all day to pass the time in the fabric warehouse. We talked about college football. So man, we're all going to be gathered around the sample table and we're going to be talking about, well, when's the Southeastern freight truck going to get here? And then in the meantime, how about that game last night? That was crazy. And so I was thinking, man, it's going to be weird because we all thought Boise was going to get blown out and, and they hung around, you know, they, they gave Oklahoma a game. That's what we were going to be saying, but certainly OU is about to pull this off and you get deeper into that fourth quarter and you, you get down to winning time. And when it unfolded, the way it unfolded and you got the hook and ladder across the middle, I'm watching it right now on the screen. And I'm just like a fan again. I remember being in my bedroom, jaws on the ground. Is he going to score? This just happened. I don't believe this. And then there's the whole question of, well, what are they going to do here? They're going to kick the extra point. What are we taking this thing to overtime? No. And then Chris Peterson goes for the win. And then they run the Statue of Liberty play. And I, I got to be honest, I had played it on video games and I had run the Statue of Liberty on video games. I could not automatically recall off the top of my head some of the more famous Statue of Liberty plays I had seen. But when they ran that Statue of Liberty and they ran that thing in, two-point conversion, and they beat Oklahoma, it was stunned silence for me for several minutes. I just sat there. And I didn't grow up rooting for Boise or Oklahoma, but as I talk about it, I kind of have a little bit of the chill bump effect on my arm because I remember how impactful it was at that time. Th this is before you've seen several of these situations in postseason play. This was before you saw UCF and Auburn. You know, now you almost come to expect when a G5 gets in that setting 
they're going to play with their hair on fire, and it's going to be tough because that, that Power 5 team's not going to get up emotionally. But this was before all that. This was back before that era and, and that new mindset had set in in college football. So it was such a huge upset. And I remember the next day at work. I remember that's all everyone talked about. And you turn on ESPN radio. And I remember Colin Cowherd at the time, he was like the only guy nationally that talked college football. But that day, everyone talked college football on national sports talk radio. So that was one of the big presents that game gave us. But the other was, who was it? Ian Johnson proposed to his girlfriend after the game. So it was basically like, it was basically like college football contracted Netflix to make a one game special. And that was the special they made. Because if you were to ask people to script stuff, they wouldn't have scripted anything better than that. That's when sports were at their best to me. Uh, you've got competition. But when authentic competition yields a result that if you would have scripted it, people would have looked at and said, that's not believable. That is when sports are at their best or is at its best. And so that night, that was when I would love to have been at because I was not there, obviously. I can't imagine what that would have been like watching live. But for those who would love to take this question and go back further in time, I was not quite born yet, but I hear great things about that 1969 game, Arkansas versus Texas. This is number one. Number two, I want to say they moved the game to December. Frank Broyles had to agree to this. Moved the game to December, and ABC had a lot to do with that. So you got Daryl Royal at Texas, and you got Frank Broyles at, at Arkansas, and they're one, two, and this is back when this is a big rivalry. Like some of you guys, even if you're my age and you watched Texas go into Fayetteville to play Arkansas this past year, and you saw how fired up Arkansas was, you saw how rabid that place was, it may not have made sense to you. But if you're around the Arkansas program, or you're around the Texas program for that matter, and you remember these days, or you remember what the Southwest Conference was like, uh, you know exactly why that environment and atmosphere was the way it was in Fayetteville this past year. We'll go back to 69, and all of a sudden, you got number one and number two here. Both of these teams had already won a national championship in the decade. Like, Arkansas was a powerhouse. Texas, powerhouse. And it was number one versus number two. President is in the house. Everybody who is anybody is there. Renaissance Tour probably would have been in Fayetteville that day. Had about 50,000 people there. Keep in mind, it was like 50 or 60 years ago. And Arkansas gets out to a 14-zip lead. Texas comes back. They win it 15 to 14. They called it the game of the century. And Texas goes on to, I think, beat Notre Dame, wins the national championship. But that game was talked about for so long to the point where when Bama and LSU played that game in 2011 in Tuscaloosa, where it was called the game of the century, that was the first time that a lot of the younger generation was reminded of or told about for the first time Arkansas, Texas in 1969. But if you want to have some fun, Fire up your YouTube machine or fire up your Wikipedia machine and search 1969, Texas versus Arkansas, because that had to have been a sight to behold. And they started the game at 12 o'clock or about 12.20 in the afternoon. You know how much I love those early afternoon kickoffs. Now, these days, it's just because Fox has taken that noon window by the stranglehold for television purposes. Back then, it was because half of them didn't have good enough lights to play at night. That's kind of its whole side plot read about the lighting situation in Fayetteville. Do we move it to Little Rock? Do we trust the lights in Little Rock? All kinds of things. It's a fascinating game. And the story behind the game, leading up to the game, when it was played, why it was played on that day, the stakes, 
in the game itself, oh, game of the century, 1969. You know, 1969, if you could just relive a year in the country, a lot of things happened in 1969. So as you fire up the YouTube machine, once you get past the college football aspect, you know, uh, we landed on the moon in 1969, according to almost everyone watching the show. I say almost. I'm not going down that road, but those of you watching who know why I'm smiling know exactly why I'm smiling or why I'm smiling. Jesse, last question. You promised me this is our last question. Okay, here we go. This question is one that I had to think about for a little while, but I do have an answer for you. So the question is, with the loaded SEC West, should we be surprised if Arkansas falls back to a negative win percentage in conference play? And I believe in the Arkansas program and the trajectory of the program as much as anyone. Yet the answer to this question is you should never be surprised if someone has a negative win percentage, unless you're Alabama, in the SEC West. It's that hard. Think about how many teams are in a division, seven, and think about the fact that if you get down to like the six and seven positions in the SEC West, who are you talking about? Right at this moment, you're talking about Auburn, Mississippi State. Mississippi State was in the top 25 at one point this past year. The investment level is such at these programs that if you were to pluck any of them from their current residence and plop them down in some random division in, in the well, Big 12 doesn't have divisions, or they do again now, but plop them down in the ACC, they can do some serious damage. You're playing quality competition every week. Mississippi State beat A&M this past year. A&M beat Alabama. You know what the transitive property tells us that means, don't you? Congratulations to Mike Leach on his first win over Nick Saban. My point is, Arkansas's got to play all these teams. And then there are some years where they got to play Georgia out of the East. No, it wouldn't be surprising. But you know what else wouldn't be surprising? It wouldn't be surprising if Arkansas finished second in the SEC West this year. It would surprise me if they won it, only because think about what you have to do to win the West right now. But if Arkansas finished second in the West, it wouldn't surprise me. But if they finish with a sub-500 record in, in division play, no, that wouldn't surprise me either. That's how volatile the SEC West is right now. This is, if you're a competitor, the best time to be in the SEC West. And if you're not, you need to find an excused absence. Have mom come check you out of school early because you don't want to go down that row. This is a murderer's row by every stretch of that definition. This is tough. You have outsiders look at the schedule and say, oh, Mississippi State. Well, there, there's an easy win. No, it's not. No, there are several guys along that defensive front any given year that are going to go on to play Sunday ball. So Mississippi State may end the year 6-6. Six and six, and It goes back to one of the big lies in college football. You are not what your record says you are. Because the trainer's room, the following Sunday, when you play a team with all those future Sunday bodies on it, that trainer's room's not any less full. Those bruises aren't any less purple. Just because the team you played is going to go 6-6. Six and six. No one cares. It is hard. It's, it's like a war of attrition, too. Look at how thin the rosters are by the end of the year. So, no, neither scenario would surprise me with Arkansas. Really good show. Really good show tonight. Feel good about it. We went an hour? We went an hour in February. I can't help but feel partially responsible. Thank you so much for watching. Remember, if you're listening on podcast, you can five-star review us on Spotify now you've always been able to on Apple. If you haven't, or if you have, but you want to contribute, go steal somebody's phone. Not like they do on Euphoria. Give it right back. But first, give us a five-star review. Mom will never even know. Meemaw will never know. And it's, it's for their own good anyway. 
So thank you so much for that. Uh, make sure you're following Twitter and Instagram at LateKickJosh. We got to get out of here for producer Jesse, for director Colin, for our production executives. I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great rest of your evening and God bless. Thank you.